0: The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. This woman knew at an early age she was a high achiever, and even at six years old, her attitude was, I will figure it out and go after what I want. Her mom was the perfect role model of what was possible for women. In college, she studied social work, law, and social policy. And while there, she fell in love with a man who would become her husband and business partner. Together, they stepped into real estate endeavors, first in developments and then into residential. And even though she had four children along the way, her business endeavors continued to expand. She became a pioneer as the first African-American woman to oversee 19 real estate offices of a top national company. Today, she continues to be on a path to greatness as she develops her teams and enjoys incredible success. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Kimber lovett McKiti. Hi, Kimber. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Annette. Yeah, fabulous to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we're going to have a lot of fun. and We have so much to talk about, so I'm going to jump right on in. As a regional director over 19 real estate offices, you have been really good at building long-lasting teams. So what has been your secret formula to team success?
1: Oh, I love that question, Annette. I think a couple of things that are really critical in sort of building fabulous teams. One is the recognition that like, we're stronger actually together right? as a cohort, as a collaborative. And so looking at different team members, what are their strengths? How can you pour into them? And then creating really consistent cadences, right, that the team can communicate, they understand what their expectations are. I think that's a good way to both build culture, camaraderie, and then have people really bought into their shared success. So
0: what would you say? I'm going to dig a little deeper on this on you. So what would you say to the leader that tends to be more of a builder than a maintainer? Because having teams stay functional requires some maintenance.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think the biggest opportunity, Bo and I actually are this way. Bo's a phenomenal visionary builder, and and it's been critical to our business success. And so what that's meant is we've had to surround him with really amazing people that are great maintainers and also growers in their own rights. I think part of what's necessary as a leader to know where your strength is, to know where you get energy from, and to complement your team with some of those other areas. And so you've got to both have the balance as a leader. But really, I think the critical piece is is to stay in that gift zone. If you're a phenomenal builder and you you get opportunities and like that's a unique and powerful skill and you've got to make sure that there's somebody on your team or that you also complement that other element, because you do have to if you can't maintain it and your team turns over, then it actually is going to impede your opportunity for growth and success.
0: I'm going to stay on this for a little bit more, Kimber, because I think there's some real nuggets here. At least I have found for myself that I am an excellent builder. I'm not a good maintainer. Mm -hmm. And when I fall into having to maintain a team or a staff, I'll shy away from it. And Mm -hmm. in fact, I will almost intentionally let it fall apart so I don't have to maintain it. And I'm better at rebuilding it back up than I'm trying to keep it in place. And And I know that maybe some of those listening can recognize that. So it is important to put both pieces in place, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, and like knowing where that is for you, like that's that self awareness is powerful, right? That that what your strength is as a builder, and watching the signs when you're actually starting to self destruct, right? You're tearing the team down because you're not like holding the the cadences of accountability. I'm a hundred percent a doer right? Like I'm a builder, I'm a doer. And so pausing to maintain the cadence with my team is something that I have to really work hard on. And and frankly, the way I do it is that I have amazing people on the team that hold me accountable to it. They make sure that the one-on-ones are on the schedule. They make sure that we have a cadence of communication because if left to my own devices, then the calendar is going to get full of builder type things. And then the things that aren't going to happen are the maintenance, which is, is actually the most critical to our success. Because if you're building on sand, right, what's going to happen to your boat? Like, you've got to have that foundation, which is your people, versus like constantly knocking it over and starting all over.
0: And I think when a builder like you and I get into a place where we lose interest in a business, which happens to all of us, then the, the maintenance part really becomes hard. Yes. I mean, really hard.
1: Yep. And you got to know, like, I think you do have to know that that's, that's important to you because there might be other ways to fulfill that builder desire versus like destroy, you know, like it, slowing down the progress on what you build. Right. Cause a lot of times, like if you're the igniter, then once it actually gets going, which is really where the juice is, right, as we're building these impactful and powerful businesses, you got to know like, hey, are there, is it philanthropy? Are there other organizations? Can I sit on a board? Like, can I, can I meet that need somewhere else so that I can actually continue to grow the business and the asset that I've invested in?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's great perspective. It really is. So uh, a loyal and thriving company culture is something all leaders strive for. So have you found there is one type of a company culture that results in the greatest chance of success?
1: Oh, I love that. You know, I think for us, one, articulating your mission and your vision and being really clear, I see myself as a social entrepreneur, right? Like I started in a background in social work, I came out of the nonprofit field. So for me, really having a business that can do well and do good at the same time is really important. And for many of the people that join our organization, the culture is the number one thing that attracts them and I think retains them to the organization. So I think knowing what that is that you want to create, what's holding people in. And for us, it's about that we're having a bigger transformational impact, right? That we're transforming lives, careers, and communities through real estate. And that's what we lead with. We say it all the time. It's on all of our collateral. And so I think really then then that becomes embedded in the culture of our organization. And I, I do think that's where what differentiates, if you look at our, these top companies, right? Simon Sinek, right? People don't really know. Like they, the why is what matters. The why of these businesses is really what powers them at the highest level. So I think as a leader, you have to connect with that so that you can lead your people around it.
0: So when you have that common mission, that can be a tremendous bonding force, can it, in terms of helping a, a team stay together through the hard
1: times? That's right. And engaged in the work, right? What's the impact? If I sit at the front desk, am I connected to the mission and impact that I'm having so that I know, hey, hey, this me doing this role at a high level actually has impact in the company? I think people want purpose, right? They want to feel like they're contributing at whatever role they play in your organization.
0: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. So there is a process that you use with your teams to determine what opportunities and situations you should say no to. So would you be willing to share this with those listening? Because I thought it was a brilliant process.
1: Yeah. I mean, we really look at a yes, how model, right? So what does that mean? Is really starting to say like, okay, how can we make this happen, right? It doesn't mean that it, not everything can happen at once. So what does it look like to get to the yes about making that decision? And who is the person that has to drive that? Because if the answer is that everything has to come back to the leader, then yeah, no, the organization is actually never going to be able to achieve at the highest level. So really looking at, okay, if this were a yes, how would we make that happen? And sometimes that actually means like you end up saying, yes, not now, right? And and what has to happen first and really prioritizing that. So I think it's just an orientation around how you think about an opportunity and at the organizational level and get people invested in how we could turn that no into a yes and really begin to be invested in the process.
0: Yeah, I think that's wise. And, and it's interesting how you start with a yes, how approach to get to your no's, mm-hmm. as opposed to saying, which most processes, they think well, what do we need to say no to? Yeah. And, and they really don't know what they need to say no to if they don't think about what they want to really have happen.
1: That's right. And it's disempowering, right, to feel like you're always telling your team no. And for them and sometimes for you as the leader. And so I think taking a yes-how approach really empowers people to understand the metrics they would need to have to hit to turn that to a yes, right? And and then it allows people to be like, okay, I got it. I've got to go back and do these three steps. And then we could go after this opportunity, or then we could invest in this additional thing. And I think it allows people to then feel like they're really part of both the decision-making process and understanding the path to get where they want to go.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think that is a process that every leader listening can certainly use. I know I'm going to incorporate it into my company. So, so thank you for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so often women find that they keep themselves small as opposed to going after big ideas. So what have you found is the most common ways that we women do this?
1: Oh, I love that. I mean, you know, I think we do. I think we really not only keep ourselves small, we talk ourselves out of opportunities. I notice um, as, as now I do a lot of hiring, right? And I look at the, the women whose resumes come across my desk and often they're overqualified for a position. And then I look at the resumes of the men who come across my desk and they're often underqualified, but they're putting their hat in the ring, right? So I think the ability to swing for the fences, like really be okay to say like, hey, maybe I don't meet all all seven qualifications. And I think I still could be a good candidate for this. So I think that that's one way in just in terms of going after opportunities. It's why I think women in leadership have an obligation to to do the tap, right? When I think about my own self in this role and many of the roles that I have had, other women have tapped me and said and men right hey you should apply for this opportunity you should consider this opportunity and then it all of a sudden it, it was not even on my radar in in many of the cases of the professional sort of different opportunities that I've had and i think so i think we once you see it like right once your eyes are open to it you've got to then be committed to opening that door for other women i, I think that one of my favorite quotes is lift as you climb that as you're climbing that you've got to be committed to continuing to pull other people through that, that door with you.
0: I'm going to stay in this just for a second more, because I want to challenge all of us, those listening as well as you and I, Kimber, to change from a mindset of mentoring others, change to a mindset of sponsoring others. And that's a very different uh, viewpoint. When you are mentoring, you assume that you're giving them information. But when you're sponsoring, you are doing the tapping. You are mentioning other women's names that can step into different roles of leadership. And we don't do that well. We need to do better at that, don't you think?
1: Absolutely. And I think you have to realize what value you, when you're the sponsoree, right, bring to the table. Because I think sometimes people come forward and they say, Annette, like, will you mentor me? Will you help me? And I think realizing what does that person need that I could actually contribute? Because we all have value, right? We all bring something to the table. So I think when you, I love the idea of sponsorship. I love the idea of saying, hey, how can this be a two-way relationship? what do I have that this person needs that I can contribute? And what do and what do they have? And so that it really does become a much more dynamic relationship.
0: Yeah. And I think that's such a healthier place to be. I'm, I'm all over trying to change the direction of that. And so and I welcome people like you walking side by side with me for sure. that while we're in this space it leads into the next question perfectly so i know one thing that irritates you and there may be more but at least i know about this way when is when people tear each other down so yeah. are women more guilty of this than men and how can each of us change this damaging behavior
1: yeah you know i don't know that women are professionally maybe we are right like i, I think that that's definitely a space where you know, particularly, and sometimes as business owners, like part of what makes us successful is that we see problems. (laughs) Like we see all the things that could go wrong and really helping to change the orientation so that we are lifting forward, that we are seeing the strength, that we are pulling it. So you're absolutely right. It is one of the things that I think as women, like we've got an opportunity and an obligation to do for one another, which is to say, okay, yeah, I'm seeing this as a, it's, it's what do they say? Like, right. Fix another woman's crown without her even knowing it. Like that's the thing. Sometimes you are going to see something that's a challenge and that needs to be addressed, but being able to do it in private, do it in a way that's coming from a spirit of growth and support versus like, Hey, let me, let me pull you back down. I think it's nobody gets anywhere when we do that.
0: And, and I'll, i I want to keep digging on this. I'd like to dig on some of these because you've got a lot of wisdom. So one of the things that I I think we as leaders are responsible for is that when we see women executing that type of behavior where they're tearing another woman down that we call them on it because that is something we let it slide or we often engage in it with them mm-hmm. and to make that connection and personally I think it's just wrong it doesn't serve any of us well what is your perspective on that
1: Yeah I mean exactly the same I mean I think the get uncomfortable like or being get comfortable being uncomfortable And so that means that, like, you might have to have an uncomfortable conversation. You know, we always say, like, praise in in public and, you know, correct in private. So I think a private conversation, and I often lead with, how honest can I be with you right now? Like, Mm -hmm. can we have a really honest conversation? And, you know, 95% of the time, 99, right? People are like, absolutely. And then it sort of sets the tone that you're getting ready to address maybe a topic that's a little uncomfortable for you. And I think it sets that, like, it, it allows, I think, somebody to receive it, brings the, the wall down just a little bit, that you can then push it in. And I think we've got to deliver it in a way that is loving. You know, Moe Anderson, who's um, dear, you know, advisor and mentor, always was called the velvet hammer, right? That she could deliver hard things, but she did it in a way that, you know, came from a place of love, came from a place of appreciation. And so I think when it, as she led, I think one of the most dynamic women leaders that we've seen, certainly in the real estate industry, I think one of the things, that's how she did it. She did it from a place of love, from upholding the culture of the organization, but also not afraid to address tough things.
0: When women often are afraid to have the tough conversations Mm -hmm. and don't see that so much with men, but I definitely see it with women. We get all called up and warned if we're going to hurt somebody's feelings or if they're going to like us. and,
1: And I, and I, and
0: my male colleagues, I don't see that.
1: That's right. And, and probably give each other that feedback more directly, just more comfortable. Absolutely. do with each other, for sure.
0: So I think it's a brilliant uh, opener line that you said, which is how honest can I be with you? Mm-hmm. Because if they say, well, I, not, not so much, then you know it's going to be wasted trying to. And, and you're right. If you open with that, most people, it's going to say, well, of course I want to know. And they don't immediately go on the defensive.
1: That's right. It kind of disarms them. Right. right? thing. And then you can have a much more authentic and open conversation. And I think as a leader, you have to come from that place, which is like, I'm here, this is an opportunity. And like, let's talk about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm going to use that one, too. So I got yeah. i got a, neck, a second one. I'm nugget that I'm going to use. <laughs> <laughs> because I know for myself, I often, if I have a negative conversation that needs to happen, I will not sugarcoat it so much I will be more direct I don't really have a problem being direct Mm -hmm. and but often on the receiving end it can be not land exactly the way I want Yeah, maybe some other driven women have experienced the same I suspect there are a few
1: I think you're right
0: (laughs) (laughs) maybe more than they want to admit right
1: (laughs) then they're like what happened I
0: don't understand why everyone's upset (laughs) right right I don't get it so negative self-judgment can lead to poor self-esteem as well as a lack of competence. So to, to combat this for yourself, you practice what is called personal grace. So explain what this looks like and how it's changed your life.
1: Oh, I love it. So yeah, this particularly, you know, we're what, 11 months in, 10 months into uh, to this pandemic. And so one of the things, even pre-pandemic, you know, with four kids and a business and a house and a wife, like, you know, I had to realize that I had to give that, that I was actually the the biggest judger of myself, right. That I was the one holding this unrealistic standard that I had to have dinner on the table and do the laundry and make sure everybody like homework was like, I had to do all these things and be the top executive. And when I realized like this idea of giving yourself grace to be okay in the things that you enjoy and the things that you don't enjoy. And for me, that actually meant really getting some leverage in my personal life because I enjoy having dinner with my kids. I do not enjoy cooking it. And I had to be okay that that was actually about me. Like nobody else was judging me that I wasn't like making these amazing meals. And when I let that go and embrace the grace for myself to say, Hey, you know what, like, this is what I value. And I'm going to get a resource over here that allows me to really do more of what I love and less of what I hate. So By personal grace, realize that I'm I'm the one standing in the way of that, not anybody else.
0: And then in that personal grace space, my guess is that a lot of the shame disappears.
1: Yeah, and it's still there for sure, right? Like, and when you have that grace, you're able to recognize it, absolutely, right? And it, hey, I'm the one that is is holding this. Yeah, yeah. There's a culture of that, right? There's a these these norms or these roles and that we have, and yet we're the ones sort of saying. I got to live this life. So yeah, I think it does let a lot of that get released.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it does. And, you know, I, I've laughed because when I see a woman move into what you call this personal grace space, you can like, actually sit on her face. There's almost relief.
1: Yes. Yeah. Her
0: absolutely. whole, her whole body changes. It's like, wow, whew, thank goodness.
1: Yes. And you can always having, you know, been and, and you in the business, you kind of watch people enter into this. You can see the life changes, Right. When they have their first babies, when they get married, like the things that actually start to create more responsibility and, and this challenge of balance, right. This elusive balance that we're all supposed to be trying to achieve. And, and so I think it is, it's that it's one of the best, I think, pieces of advice that I offer women who are going through those different life stages is like the expectations. You want to stay home, stay home, like, right. Or what, what your life can allow. Don't think that the world is demanding this thing of you. It's often us. We're demanding this of ourselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you led beautifully into my next question. So you told me that you don't buy into this idea of balance in one's life. So what do you, what okay. do you say this is? What is balance? And what do you see is really the reality that women should strive for?
1: Yeah. So I, I think I told you balance is a lie. Okay. Yes, you I did. did. <laughs> to feel bad about ourselves that we can't do everything. I think it's about counterbalance. I think it's about really being present and striving to be fully present where you are. And if that means right now on this call with you, like I'm fully present and my phone's off and I'm hoping my kids don't peek in the door, right? And when I'm with them, I really want to be able to put my phone down and, and be fully present with them. And so I think that that is what it looks like. And sometimes, lots of times right now in my life, like I'm way off balance, right? I'm, I'm working a lot. We're pushing a lot of business opportunities through. I've got kids that are home and home, like I'm way out of balance. And if I feel like I'm, a, I'm never there, then you're kind of right. Like it's back to this grace. And so once I accepted the balance, wasn't a place I was striving for. I was striving to, to work as hard as I could to be really present in the moments I was in. Life got better.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. And you've done a beautiful job at it. How old are your children? They're, they're still very young.
1: They are. Well, I, I got a big spread. I have an all boys. So that's a whole other fun thing. Uh, 11, 9, 7. And then I have a one-year-old.
0: Oh my! So we know your house rock and rolls all the time, and you got a business that's exploding. So there you are, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and the district, you know we're still we're still hundred percent virtual here in the district.
0: Yes, I know you are. So, Kimber, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women?
1: Oh gosh, so many things, right? I think failure is something that early on I did not embrace, right? And I think I stayed small in the beginning because I didn't want to fail and I didn't want to. I wasn't comfortable with that. And I think the more comfortable I got that like, sometimes it wasn't about, is this the right decision or the perfect decision? It was that you made a decision and that if it failed and if it went wrong, like you got back up and you got back in the game. And so from hiring to growth to like, there've been a lot of decisions that I made that weren't the right decisions. And in some ways they were the right decision because they led me to where I am today. And I think embracing failure in your journey and letting go of this fear of failure, I think actually for women, especially is unlocks um, the rocket ship to your business growth.
0: It does. And I'm going to add one thing to that, that how I have dealt with the failure the most successfully is I've tried to get to a point where I can laugh at myself. I was always so dang serious about everything. Yeah. And when you get where you fail at something and you can find the humor in it, somehow it, it removes it from being so personal.
1: It does. It really does. And then I think accepting that, like every failure is supposed to be there because it's part of the journey to where you're supposed to be. And so just knowing that there's a lesson in every single failed opportunity, and just learn your lessons fast, right? Like, yeah, don't repeat them. <laughs> don't keep repeating them over and over because
0: the universe will keep sending them to you if you that, don't listen,
1: true. right? But <laughs> we find them, right? Like, right. Once
0: we- <laughs> yes, yeah, we sure do. Kimber thank you so much for taking time i know you've got so many balls in the air with the children and your business and and all the things that are all messed up with the, the pandemic but you uh yeah i'm just so appreciative you shared so much wonderful wisdom
1: yes well thank you i think that creating a community and you know i think taking all of your wisdom and putting it into this platform i think is certainly a gift for for women everywhere so thanks for having me So Kimber is another
0: great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman story unfolds.